0: brought your bibles and i hope that you have turn with me to genesis chapter 3 way up there in the very beginning just the first few pages of your bible just open up to the front turn just a couple pages to genesis chapter 3 i want to begin there this morning read just uh, just a few verses to you and then we'll go to the lord together in a word of prayer genesis chapter 3 beginning at the first verse lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Let us pray together. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you one more time here this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the good day of the many blessings. We thank you for each one you sent our way here this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the roof you put over our head. Lord, we thank you for the nation that we live in, uh, the freedom that we have to openly gather here this morning and worship you. Uh, Lord, we, we, uh, my prayer is we don't take that for granted. There's so many places in the world that does not have that same freedom that we have here this morning. And we thank you, Lord, for each one who fought and sacrificed and bled and died so that we could have that freedom. But we know ultimately it's a gift from you, so we give you all the praise and all the glory. We thank you, Lord, for uh, just this opportunity for us to gather here. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, most of all for your son, Jesus. Lord God, that you sent him and that you give him so that we might have life and have that life abundantly and eternally. Lord, we're not worthy, and we don't deserve it. And God, you knew that, but yet you sent him anyways. So Lord, I know, I understand that not even in a million years could we do enough to thank you or repay you. But Lord, let us always be a people with praise and glory on our lips for you, because you alone are worthy of it. And Lord, I just pray as we go forward into this service here this morning. God, you know the situation in each one of our hearts here this morning. You know the things that we're dealing with and, and uh, the things that we're wrestling with. You know the temptations that we face and the trials that we go through. You know the illness uh, uh, you know, and the uh, physical infirmities that, uh, that we have and that we deal with, Lord. Lord, there's nothing that is hidden from you. And so, Lord, my prayer this morning is, is that you would move upon the hearts and minds of each and every one of us. God, those that are grieving, I pray that you'd comfort them. Lord, those that need to be encouraged, I pray, Lord, that you would lift them up and you would encourage them. Those that need to be comforted, uh, Lord, we know that you're the great comforter. Lord, those that uh, uh, maybe have let some things slip into their heart and their life that does not belong there, Maybe they've gave the devil a, a foothold in their, in their life or in their minds, Lord. I pray, Lord, this morning, Lord, that you would just move in a mighty way. God, I pray, Lord, if there's any, if we've let any sin into our heart, into our life, anything that doesn't belong there, God, anything that doesn't please you or bring you glory, I pray, Lord, that you'd convict us of it. And, God, that you wouldn't give us any peace until we'd repent of it and get things right with you. I pray, Lord, that you would just have your way and your will and our hearts and our minds, and that we'd get out of the way and let you be God of the service here this morning. And I pray uh, also here this morning, uh, especially for any that are lost and undone, any that have never known you, any that's not sure where they stand with you, any that maybe have backslid, not where they once were with you. God, let today be the day. Let today be the day that they would turn to you before it's everlasting too late. Well, today be the day that they would get things right with you. And Lord, one more thing is I need your help. I can't preach without you here this morning. Uh, I got nothing to say lest you give it to me. So Lord, I'm just praying here this morning that you'd help me. I pray, Lord, that you would just clear my mind of everything but your message, your thoughts, your words. And that you'd place on my tongue the very things that you'd have me to speak here this morning. God, my heart's desire is for... Uh, each one to leave here knowing that they've heard from you. They've heard from your word. They've heard from you. Lord, that are straight from you through my spirit to their spirit, Lord God. There's one starving beggar telling another where to find bread. So, Lord, help me. Help me to preach your word. Be the preacher you've called me to be. And we'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it. Lord, we love you. We worship you, we praise your holy name. We ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. This, uh, I naturally want to say story, because that's how we talk. But I am very sensitive that uh, I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea that that we believe this is historical narrative. In other words, this is what happened. This is this happened and this is how it happened and this what, is what happened. In this historical narrative, in this story here, of course I only read the first five verses of it and it's much broader than that. Really you would need to read the first three or really four chapters to get, uh, you know, a good picture of everything that is going on here and understand him. But I want to hone in on this section here, the the temptation and the fall of man. And really, it's just the first part here where Adam and Eve is in the garden and where uh, the serpent, right, where Satan approaches them and... and, and they are tempted. And, and so anyways, uh, you know, is that you begin to look at temptation and you go through the scripture, you'll find that the Bible tells us that there are three ways that we can be tempted, right? Uh, you can find that in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. Uh, I'm not going to read it to you this morning here, but you can go and look at that yourself. And, and let me say this, both Eve and in Jesus were tempted with all three of the things that it mentions there in 1 John 2.16, right? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I think those three are, are maybe, you know, every temptation really probably falls into one of those three categories. And I'll say this this morning. If Eve had dealt with it, if she had responded, if she had answered the devil the same way that Jesus did, then maybe, just maybe, I I don't want to speculate, right, but i just entertain the possibility that we would still be in a perfect world today. But she didn't, and so that's just speculation. We know that she didn't. Instead, what Eve did was uh, uh, she made only three mistakes uh, that can be made with God's Word, right? That's adding to it, taking away from it, and changing it, right? It's, if we look at that very carefully and compare it in chapter 2 to what God actually said, right, we can see those mistakes that she made. Now, I want you to understand this morning that this temptation uh, is a common experience, right? It's something that, that all the saints uh, experience at one time or another. It's something that centers, uh, saints and sinners both, of all races and all nations, right? None of us are exempt from it. Can I say it a different way? What specifically is the temptation? The temptation is that you can't trust God's word. That's what I often refer to as the oldest lie. Right? That's Satan's oldest lie right from the very beginning. That is essentially what he is telling Eve here or suggesting to her or putting into her mind is you cannot actually trust God's word. Notice. In verse 1, right? The last part of verse 1, the last sentence in verse 1. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, right? Listen to me. Really what I want to talk to you and preach to you about this morning is Satan's tactics. And I know that he's got a lot of them, but I think we see three or four, uh, uh, or maybe five tactics here. Uh, we'll talk about as means as the Lord allows us to this morning of uh, Satan's tactics right here. And so here we see in the first place, where does Satan go? Right? He goes after those that are dear and near to you. Right? Satan didn't go after Adam. He went after what was near and dear to Adam. Right? So w- what is the tactic that he is using there? Right? Adam and Eve are the only two humans on the face of the earth at this time. There's not children yet, but that would have been another one. What is he, wh- where does he go? Satan attacks you where you are most vulnerable. Right? that is that was at in this in this instance that was where adams weak spot was <laughs> and, and so as we look at this right think about it just for a minute right Where is it that we are most vulnerable? That is where he's going to attack, right? If that is family, then that's where he will attack. If that is something in your past, then that is where he will attack. If that's problems with addictions, then that's where that temptation will come from. That's where he will attack. If it's lust, then that's where he will get you, right? Whether it's with pornography or or just somebody of, uh, uh, of the right look and the opposite sex walking by or whatever it may be if that's the place if that's the weakness then that's where it is if it's greed right if it's money then that is where he's going to work on you at that is where he's going to attack at if it's pride then that's where he'll hit you at or if it's a lack of faith then that's where he will attack you wherever we are most vulnerable listen to me he's been at this a long time He's pretty good at figuring that out, exposing weaknesses and then attacking there. And that's what he does. That's what we see him him doing here in the garden, right? So we can see from this that in Adam's case, it was Eve. And in Eve's case, it was doubt, right? He went to her and caused her to doubt what it was that God had actually said or what he meant by what he said. And listen to me. Let me just say this. She could not have been deceived about what God had said, had she not first doubted what God had actually said. Right? She doubted first in her heart and her mind what God had actually said. If she had not doubted that to begin with, she could have not been, and could have never been deceived in that area. So, looking here at the last part of verse one again, I said, "Yea, as God said," and then listen to the rest of what Satan says at the very end of it: "Ye shall not eat of every tree." of the garden. He's saying, Yea, hath God said that you shall not... He's saying, Did God really say that you can't eat of every tree of the garden? Right? So in other words, he's, he's planting that seed of doubt, questioning, Is that what God really said? Right? There's our second tactic. Second... I'll spit it out and get talking right here in a minute. That is our second tactic that we see Satan using here planting a seed of doubt. That's what he does. Is that what it really means, right? Is that what God really means by whatever he said here? That is the seed of doubt. Satan wants you to doubt the word of God, right? If he can't get to you about God's word, then listen to me. If, if he can get to you, maybe I should say it that way. If he can get to you and get you to doubt God's word, then he's got you. Do you understand that? If he can get there and plant that seed of doubt and worm his way in and get you to doubt the scriptures, the word of God. If he can get you to doubt that, then he's got you. But if he can't, then he's got nothing, right? Right? Look at verse 2 and verse 3 here. Verse 2, right? So we've got Eve's response. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. All right? If you go back and look at, what is that, verse 16 and 17 of chapter 2, you'll see that's not exactly what God said. Go on, though, verse 3. But the, uh, verse 4, I mean. No, verse 3. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, "Ye shall not eat it, neither shall ye touch it, lest you die. Look at, look at how Eve gets the word of God the scriptures wrong right she takes away from god's word if you go back to the previous chapter you see god said that they could eat freely of every tree in the garden, except for the one in the midst, right? She drops that part of it all altogether, and then she adds to God's word, right? She says, "Don't touch." Right? We go back and see what God actually said. He doesn't say anything about not touching the tree lest you die, but whenever she's talking to the Satan, to Satan, uh, to the serpent, that's what she says. Now we could speculate: Is you know, did did is that what Adam told her, or is that just? what you know? she put in her mind to, to keep from even you know, getting close or, or whatever. We don't know. That's speculation. But the point is, that is not what God said. Now go to verse 4, which is what I was trying to do a minute ago. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. There's where it comes in. He's saying, you can't believe what God said, right? I mean, God said that if you eat of it, you'll die, right? That's in the last chapter. She knows that when she tells the, serp- tells the serpent, she says they can't eat of it. She adds to it, they can't touch it, lest, we, lest you die, right? They're dying. And then Satan says, that's not what God really meant. That's not what he was really saying. You can't believe what God said, right? I mean, we know that Satan knows the word of God, right? I think Satan is more aware of what God actually said than what Eve was. I, I, don't, I don't hesitate for a minute to think that Satan knew exactly uh, what the rules was, knew exactly what God had said and had forbidden, but yet here he is. I mean, I, think about it for just a minute here. Uh, who knows the scriptures better? You or Satan, right? Me or Satan. I'm willing to bet Satan does. He knows it forwards and backwards, and that's why he takes it and twists it and uses it just like he is here. So, how do you combat? How do you combat Satan? Well, the only way to combat the devil and win is with Scripture, it is with the Word of God. Don't take my word for it. Let me read it to you and show you. In Matthew chapter 4, okay? So you go all the way. That was the first book in the Old Testament. You go all the way over to the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 4. Let's look at the first few verses, right? When Jesus himself has been led away by the Spirit into the wilderness, right? He has he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, uh, and he is being tempted by the devil. Let me read it to you. Four one. Matthew chapter four verse one. Then was Satan, or excuse me, then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward a hungered. All right. Now you you need to know that. You need to see that and realize that. Right. Jesus is hundred percent God, but he is also a hundred percent man. And so he is subject to temptations just like uh, we are subject to temptations. And he got, he got hungry just as we get hungry. And so 40 days and 40 nights, it says he's hungry, right? He is weak, right? This is the point where he's most vulnerable. Right, We see Satan making all the same attacks except unsuccessfully against Jesus right here because Jesus is our perfect example. Right, Adam and Eve is not our perfect example. The first man is not our perfect example, but the last man is. So here we are in chapter 4 and verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hunger. Verse 3. And when the tempter came to him... He said, if thou be the Son of God, right? He's saying, if you're who you really say you are, command that these stones be made bread, right? He's hitting him where he's most vulnerable. Verse 4, but he answered and said, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth, uh, setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou sh- uh, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone." Here he is, Satan is quoting scripture to to Jesus. He's misusing it. He's pulling it out of context and misusing it. Verse 7, Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. Right there is our perfect example. Jesus shows us how it's done. Everything Satan threw at him. Did you notice how there's something common? All three times, all three temptations, there is something common in Jesus' response. I mean, yeah, he's calling Satan out, but what is it that he is using in every one of his responses? Every one of them starts, it is written. He is combating him with the word of God. Everything that Satan threw at Jesus was met with the true word of God. So... What's the next tactic that Satan uses? Satan will do his best to convince you that God's word is not enough. He'll do his best to convince you that it's not enough for growth. Right, we've been talking about that as a church quite a bit, right? And we've been talking about that personally, spiritually, right? Our growth, right? So we've been talking about both spiritual and kingdom growth. And one of the, t- the tactics Satan will use, and a lot of the world is really bought into it, is that the word of God is not enough. It's not enough. Uh, it, it's not enough for growth, right? And it's not. That he'll also throw at you that it's not enough to deliver you. Right? It's not enough to deliver you from the bondages of sin. He'll say that you need programs, uh, uh, that you'll need to add to it. Right, you need, uh, Some will say uh, you, know, you need willpower, you need psychology, you need medication, you need all these other things too. It's not enough, right? He'll tell you it's not enough to save you, that you need to add to it, right? So it's the Word of God plus good works. It's the Word of God plus water baptism. It's the Word of God plus whatever. You know, it alone is not enough, right? That is the temptation. That is what he tries to convince you of. He tells you that you can't trust what God said because the Word is not true. How many false prophets go out in the land? How many are out there active right now today that is saying that very thing, right? Saying that the word of God is not true. We're saying that the word of God is corrupted, right? When, it, when you hear that come out of their mouth, that's the same thing. They're saying the same thing, that it's not true, that you can't trust it, right? That it's not enough, right? Uh, that it has, uh, some will say that the the the, that the church uses the word of God, right? Or people use the scriptures and the Bible and the word of God for for selfish motives, right? Uh, Some will say it's not really God's word, right? That just some men made it up and they wrote it, you know, and maybe it's some really good proverbs and some really good sayings and some really good advice or maybe it's just an ancient book, right? That it's not relevant for us today, right? Or that it's out of date or it has no bearing on your life today. You don't need it, right? You've heard these things. That's one of Satan's tactics. Do you know what he's actually trying to do? He is trying to get you to lay down the only weapon that you have to use against him. That's what he's trying to get you to do. If we finish here with what I read to you in Genesis verse five, chapter 3, verse 5. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God's. Knowing good and evil. Right? So, first of all, the eyes being open, innocence is lost. But this really gets at the heart of all of this. Deep down, deep down in the very core of man, the root of, I, I hesitate to say all sin, but the root of so much of sin. The root of what's wrong with the world today, of the sin that has got us to where we are today. Same problem that we see here in the garden is that man really wants to be God. That's the appeal that got Eve, right? That's the appeal that got Eve, that's the tactic that got Eve was whenever he said, oh, well, God don't want you to do it because your eyes will be open and you, you guys will be gods just like he is. You don't believe me? Think about the theory of evolution. What's so attractive about it? It makes man God. It dethrones the only true and living God, right? God above, uh, Yahweh, Jehovah, uh, you know, God of the Bible. It removes Him as creator. And it places us as the creator, right? We have made ourselves. The root of that, the reason that that is not just completely laughed off of the stage, so to speak, is because it appeals to that very deep down root, man's desire, right? We talk about power and we talk about control, but that's ultimately what God is, is the picture of ultimate power and control. I'll give you another one real quick. Look at all the current theories about climate change. Now, I'm not... Denying anything or anything like that, I'm just saying if we're honest and we're realistic, we really just don't know. There's not enough data, there's not enough time. I mean, that's just that's the truth, that's the truthful, honest, unbiased answer, is we just, we, we have, if the course of time is this big, we have that much of it recorded on, on these things. And we really don't know what they do and what, what happens. We guess at it, and we've proven that, that sometimes our guesses aren't very good. But I will propose to you that the heart, the root of it, is the same thing. Why it appeals so much to man. Right? I mean, we see it to appeal to some because of greed, right? For so many, right? You don't believe me going to Walmart and looking at how much is green this, green this, environmentally friendly this, environmentally friendly of that. And if you really look into it, most of it doesn't, doesn't do any better than any of the rest. But there's an appeal to greed there. But really, the root of it, the ones that are the true believers that don't care about money, the real root of it. Right? The theory says that we cause. The climate change. And that if we get together and work really hard, we can cause it to change back. Who has the power, the control over weather? Undeniably, God does. If you don't believe me, go ask your insurance man. You remember that clause in your, in your, in your, uh, especially in your homeowner's insurance, acts of God. Look at those. Most of those are weather related, right? That clause, that's that's actually acts of God is actually a legal term that is used to describe uh, mainly it's natural disasters. You know what we term natural disaster, acts of weather, things like that, things that are beyond human control and only controlled by God. That's part of the legal definitions beyond human control. But if man, if man can control the weather, then he's God. That's why it appeals so much. That's why it appealed to Eve. That's why these different silly, nonsensical things appeal to so many today because it gets at that, that deep down root, right? So Satan tells you that you can be your own God. You can make your own rules. You don't have to answer to anybody else. You can do whatever feels right. You can do whatever feels good. You can do whatever makes you happy. I like um, John Piper. I was reading something he'd wrote one time, and I wrote this down. And I thought it was a very good insight into all of this that he offered. And what he said was is that sin gets its power. Now, this was his words, his quote, that sin gets its power by persuading me to believe that I will be more happy if I follow it. The power of all temptation is is the prospect that it will make me happier. Think about it, right? The power of the temptation is that if you give in to it, you'll be happier, you'll like it more, it'll make you feel good, it'll, uh, you know, itch or itch or whatever the case may be. As we look at Satan's tactics here, everything he does is an attempt to cut God down, is an attempt to discredit God, what God has said. So, I showed you how Jesus dealt with temptation. It's, just, it's the example that we're to follow. So sometimes the question is asked, why do you need to know the Word of God? I'll tell you why. Devin read it to you. If you were paying closely this morning, paying attention, uh, cl- close attention this morning. Devin read it to you this morning. The Word of God. It's the only thing, it's the only way that we can combat combat the devil. It's the only offensive weapon that we've been given. You go through all that list in in God's armor, and they're all, um, every piece is a defensive, is a piece of armor, it's defensive, right? Except for... The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's why uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart right? That is the only, everything else we're given is defensive. That is the only offensive one, right? The rest are for protection, but the sword of the spirit is the one that is not for protection, but it is for offensive. It is the only weapon that we have to use against the devil. So listen to me this morning. You are either fighting against the devil or he has you. It's plain and simple, right? He desires to have you, and either you are fighting him and resisting him, or he has you. James chapter 4, verse 7 tells us, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you, right? Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How do you resist the devil, right? Maybe that's the question that if you're not asking yourself, maybe you should be asking yourself. How do I resist the devil? We do it by using the Scriptures as the sword of the Spirit in order to stand up against him. And if we resist him, he will flee from us. That's what James 4, 7 says. That is what the Word of God says. You've just got to decide, are you going to believe God and do what he said or not? Uh, look at look for a minute And how Jesus did it, right? Uh, Whenever Jesus resisted him, uh, he used the word of God. Every time, all three times, he starts out with, for it is written, right? It is written again. Uh, Get behind me, Satan. Uh, It is written, right? That is his responses every time. And then he goes on and he quotes scripture in all of those, right? That is how he does it. And then... What is Satan's reaction, right? He's resisting Satan with the sword of the spirit. And what does Satan do in verse 11? Then the devil leaveth him. Then the devil leaveth him, right? That's what James told us. Submit yourselves, uh, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So how do you fight temptation when it arises? With the word of God. I know, that seems too easy and too simple. But that is how we fight it. That is why it's so important that we find time every day that we get into the Word of God, that we immerse ourselves into our Bibles, our Scriptures, that we make sure. Most important thing, right? It's not the thing that you put on your calendar or you put on your to-do list, the thing that if... You, you know, you get everything else done and you make time and you don't fall asleep too early or there's not something on TV that you just really, 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 really want to watch. Then you'll go ahead and read your Bible for a little bit. No, no, no. It is a thing that everything else in the day is planned around. Everything else revolves around it. If you get nothing else done today, you get your time in the Word of God. You get some of the Scripture in you. And then you go on and do whatever else that you can get done in the day. Why? Because without the word, you are a setting duck. You are easy pickings. Without the word, Satan, he's coming after you, and you are a prime target. You are a setting duck, you are easy pickings. Now look. Trials and temptations. Both of those, they are inevitable. Jesus made it clear to us, we're going to face those. And I believe that God intends both, trials and temptations, to deepen our relationship with Him. And I know sometimes we face, I've heard it said before, we face trials on the outside, and sometimes we face temptations on the inside. But what I'm saying to you this morning is how we respond to them, has everything to do with our faith. Do we believe God? So that's my question to you this morning. Do you believe God? Eve didn't, right? Remember I said that about her doubt. Eve didn't. I'm asking you, do you? Because if you do, you will face trials and temptations. And this is how we fight it is with the word of God. But you need to you need to be you need to be prepared. You need to spend time in the Word of God. Could you imagine? I mean, the picture we've got here is not of modern warfare, right? Modern warfare they got all kinds of gear on, and you know they've got their. Uh, I guess they don't even use the M16 anymore. Whatever the latest military weapons are this picture here is of a time past where metal armor or the chain length armor is put on and a sword is the weapon that sword is something that the soldier if he's going to be any good if he's going to make it very long in battle he needs to be intimately familiar with that sword needs to be an extension of himself That's how familiar he's got to be with it. He needs to carry that thing and use that thing every day. God didn't pick that as a picture of the Word of God for no reason. You need to be intimately familiar. This needs to be an extension of yourself. You need to use it. You need to carry it and use it every day. Because the enemy... Oh, he desires to sift you as wheat. He's looking for an opportunity to pick you off. Would you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar and I want to give you an opportunity to come this morning. If the Spirit of God is dealing with you, would you come this morning? If you've got a need, if you've got a heavy burden, would you come this morning? Whatever it may be, don't miss this opportunity. Maybe there's somebody on your heart. Somebody who's lost and and you need to be praying for them. Maybe it's somebody facing hard times. Maybe it's somebody going through a trial or temptation. Maybe you're going through your own trials and temptations. I'm asking you, would you come this morning? Whatever the need is, do not miss this opportunity. Would you come?